Welcome to Point by Point, conversations, interviews, and legal commentary for today's business professionals. Brought to you by Waller. This is Morgan Ribeiro, the host of Point by Point. On today's podcast, I'm joined by three partners in the firm's finance and restructuring practice, Eric Taub, John Tischler, and Jesse Bogle. We are fortunate to be joined by these partners who each offer clients more than three decades of experience in bankruptcy and restructuring matters. Thanks for joining me today. The situation in the U.S. and global economy is continuing to worsen, and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and stay-at-home orders are putting pressure on a variety of industries, in particular oil and gas, retail, hospitality, and healthcare. To kick things off, I think our listeners would benefit from each of you setting the stage for us. What are you hearing from clients right now? Eric, I'll, I'll start with you. Thanks, Morgan. You know, we have clients in a multiple uh, industries, and right now the big issue is trying to figure out where the end of this is and what impact it has. Oil and gas industry is obviously being driven by some different issues, uh, not necessarily by COVID, and it is in a shambles uh, based upon pricing. But uh, other industries, such as the hospitality industry and uh, retail development and uh, office industries, are uh, are really, really in a shambles and are trying to figure out where the end is. Great. And, and Jesse, I know your practice focuses a lot on working with banks and lenders. What are you hearing from those clients? Yeah, thanks, Morgan. It's a very different feel uh, from the Great Recession of 2007, 2008. Banks are truly partnering uh, with their borrowers and their customers to try to get through this. Uh, COVID national worldwide emergency is, is not of a borrower's doing. It's not of a bank's doing. So the, the two parties really are not mad at each other. They're just trying to survive. And what I mean by that is the the banks are doing everything they can possibly do to partner with the SBA and open up portals to allow for these PPP monies, uh, the payroll protection monies, uh, to get funded. And literally, the banks are getting tens of thousands of these applications. Congress just appropriated another $32 billion into that program, and the banks are doing nothing but trying to get that money out the door. Uh, there is no collection actions going on. It is strictly trying to push the money from the federal government out to the, to the customer. Right. And and John, I know you're, you've focused on a number of industries over the years, but in the last few years, a particular focus on health care. What are, what are you hearing from that? Well, it's kind of the the best of times and worst of times because they are the front line of this pandemic. A lot of the providers are. And there are tons of patients coming to facilities for assistance, but uh, it's the worst of times in that they are not doing the things that generate the highest end of their revenue, which is a lot of elective surgeries and a lot of the Patients that are showing up are uncompensated care patients. And so it's it's really stressing an already stressed industry. And I think there'll be some some real fallout in the coming month. So, yeah. Can you talk more about that? And what do you predict to happen in the healthcare services space over the next few months, probably third and fourth quarter of this year? Like the other businesses that we've already talked about, healthcare was affected by the sh- by the shutdown. Hospitals, obviously, they missed out on the revenues from elective surgeries. They've also had to pay, and in a lot of instances, pay over market prices to get just the basic PPE. And they've also had this increase of uncompensated care, partly offset by some of the government programs, but most of those programs are loans and not grants. 
And so they'll have to be repaid. Then, you know, when you get outside the hospital space, you look at other providers like surgery centers and post-acute health care facilities. And those, I really hate to say, it, it was it's like hitting a cliff. Uh, for surgery centers, they went from having full volumes one day to having literally no one uh, doing elective surgeries. And that's gone on for 45 to 60 days. And even now, you have people coming back into the surgery centers but very, very slowly. So they're going to they're gonna have declining volumes for at least through the end of this year, and I would predict on into 2021 as well. And on the post-acute care end of things, that's been ground zero for this pandemic. A lot of folks in nursing homes and assisted living have been hard hit uh, by this. I would imagine there will be a lot of litigation that comes out of it. Uh, even with tort reform that may cap individual claims, you'll have multiple claims, 30, 40, a hundred claims and those kinds of things when you already put it up against a very stressed business model are likely to result in a lot of uh, opportunities for well-capitalized companies, but unfortunately, a lot of bankruptcies for the weaker folks. I I noted earlier on in the conversation, and obviously our listeners have heard a lot about the stay-at-home orders. A lot of those are starting to be lifted. Things are starting to reopen. And that's a multi-phase process. But ultimately, Eric, from your position, do you think that retail and hospitality industries are, are going to recover from this? They've obviously been really hurt by by this in different ways. And what should folks expect to see in each of those areas over the coming months? You know, Morgan, I think with regard to the retail and hospitality industries, you're really going to have a, a wave of bankruptcy filings. You know, hospitality industry like hotels, you know, occupancy rates right now for a lot of these folks are at zero or less than 5%. How long those folks can hold on? How long can franchisers hold on without the franchisees paying uh, their franchises? And, and it's going to be different in terms of what your service is. It's going to create a whole different industry kind of standard. So I expect to see a lot of hospitality type uh, bankruptcies, same thing for restaurants and those types of establishments that are going to be limited in terms of, you know, the big retailers, the big box retailers were having problems before the pandemic. So, you know, you read in all the trade publications, folks like Neiman Marcus and uh, Saks Fifth Avenue and Macy's all looking at potential bankruptcy filings because they're having trouble with their lenders, can't make payments. Same thing with regard to developers of real estate who have multiple retail locations. I have a couple of clients who have big retail establishment developments, power centers. If they have 25% of their tenants paying rent right now, that's actually a lot. So how long can those folks survive? And what, you know, even if the lenders are willing to be cooperative and push stuff, how long can that happen when the actual retailers can't pay rent? It doesn't look very good to me, and it looks like we're going to see a number of bankruptcies in the retail, in the hospitality, and even in the real estate that services those areas. I I don't see the next couple of months being very pretty. I interviewed Bo Campbell, um, the leader of our real estate industry team on a podcast recently to discuss the impact of the pandemic, specifically on the commercial real estate industry. What are you hearing from developers and, and landlords? So Eric states it very eloquently. Uh, uh, tenants of retail office are not paying their rent. Consequently, the landlords don't have any money to pay their loan, either to private equity, CMBS type lenders or to the regulated banks. I think 
what's going to happen is that once the government money kind of runs out and the banks are able to start focusing on their lending relationships, I think you're going to see a lot of forbearance agreements at least attempted. I know for a fact that the banks do not want the collateral back. They're going to try to find a way to to, to keep uh, their borrowers forming. I think the federal government, uh, the FDIC in particular, is going to find ways to not create hardship for banks when they give extensions on loans. And I think everybody's kind of going to hope and pray that we have what is called a V recovery, uh, that the economy that has really good fundamentals uh, going into this uh, has the ability to spring back uh, immediately. Uh, the real question that everyone has is, will the public go back to work? People have gotten very comfortable with this and they're kind of scared and they're going to be very cautious. And some industries like the movie theater industry, for example, are going to probably be the hardest hit. Are people going to feel comfortable going back into that kind of an environment with this with this disease floating around? I think for the time being, the banks are going to be very, very patient. And I think about June, July, August, uh, you're going to start to see some default, probably some very very uh, weakly capitalized companies or borrowers. And that's when the bankruptcies are going to start. Uh, the people who have capital probably going to take advantage of this and start buying up their competition. I think you'll see a lot of M&A activity start up um, and buying up the folks that don't, who are not well capitalized. It's interesting today, Morgan, because I mean, today's May 1st. And so lots of people are supposed to be paying rent. My guess is most of them aren't. How does that flow through? And particularly when you have CMBS lenders who can't give forbearance agreements who are tied in uh, you know, in Jesse's world, what he's talking about with banking. It's going to be tough to get those kind of agreements done now. And May 1st is going to be a good day to figure out when that's happening. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, switching gears here, you know, Eric, you're in Texas. Oil and gas is big. And I know you noted in your intro, you know, it's not really an effect of COVID-19 necessarily. It was just happened to be the timing was right around all the pandemic starting out. And so, you know, there's been a plunge in prices in oil and gas. Dealmakers are wondering what's the industry, what's going to happen in the industry. Is there going to be a wave of bankruptcies and restructurings? What are your thoughts and what are, what are you seeing right now? You know, interestingly, Jesse had mentioned earlier, earlier, and John had mentioned earlier that, you know, in in, uh, some of these areas that you have lenders who are actually being very cooperative because they don't want the asset. In other words, uh, particularly like in a hospitality industry, if you're having to operate a hotel, you know, a lender doesn't want to operate a hotel. That's That's one side of it. Oil and gas now is actually changing. So what we're hearing is that uh, some of the big lenders are now um, staffing up so that they can actually operate these assets and own them as opposed to being concerned about taking them back. Now, right now, you got a situation where producers can't produce because there's nowhere to put the production. Nobody wants it, and there's nowhere to store it. Um, that's going to create some issues with regard to leases, particularly for E&P companies who have to produce in order to keep leases in place. So it's going to be... Um, it's going to be interesting. There are some big bankruptcies that have already been filed. Uh, Chesapeake, for example, is contemplating one. They haven't filed today already. I mean, there's going to be some big bankruptcies in the oil and gas world. But I think, unlike what we've seen in the past, maybe 10 years, the oil and gas industry has been troubled for a while. You're going to see lenders who are actually going to take over these assets. You may have some bankruptcies who effect, effectuate that. In other words, the bankruptcy where the lender comes in and takes it over, part of an overall strategy. Or you may have some contested bankruptcies where the lender wants the property post some of these other industries where the lenders don't. The one unknown at this point is that when the lenders, be it private equity or banks, start taking action, the the borrowers 
have defenses, and it remains to be seen how the term force majeure is going to be interpreted by the courts. Uh, my counsel and a takeaway from this is if somebody is being aggressive with you, you probably should seek counsel's help to help you understand your rights and potential defenses to some of these actions. Uh, we, we need to remember that uh, nobody's going to work because the, the federal and state governments deemed it so. And it wasn't anything that we did to cause this. So I'd be, I'd be real interested to see how the courts are going to deal with aggressive behavior by, by lenders. You know, from the, the standpoint of the borrowers, borrowers are kind of, in the developer side, they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. So like I was talking about earlier with regard to retail, you know, you've got retail developers who've got loans that have to be paid. Their, you know, their, their lessees can't pay and aren't paying. And they're going back to their lenders and they're asking for a time and uh, help getting through the pandemic to see if it changes. CMBS lenders, as most of us know, um, you don't really have the ability to talk to anybody. You have to go to a special servicer. It takes some time. They really don't have any discretion. So, you know, what do they have to do? I'm sure Jesse will tell me that they have to send default notices. And as a consequence, because they don't have any discretion, then we're going to be in a situation where you've got notice defaults. It creates other defaults, even with non-CMBS lenders. There's a uh, sort of a domino effect of creation of these defaults, which is really going to, I think, generate some some bankruptcy cases. A decade ago, there were a number of our attorneys were immersed in the Detroit bankruptcy case, and there was also the Jefferson County bankruptcy in, in Birmingham, Alabama. John, do you foresee that we'll see another wave of municipal bankruptcies as a result of the current economic crisis? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, yes. Uh, this this whole podcast has been a little bit of a downer, right? We're just talking about each industry that's going to go under. But I do think uh, municipalities, they were already stressed. There were some notable ones like Chicago and the state of Illinois had huge unpaid pension liabilities. And now they've had to kind of fill some expensive gaps uh, with this pandemic, find uh, PPE and just other uh expenses, I'm sure, that were not budgeted. And so when you put the strain that they were already under and you add to that strain, it's easy to forecast uh, municipal bankruptcies coming out of it. The other the other thing about municipalities is many counties and some cities, especially in the South, own hospitals. And uh, these hospitals were not doing well prior to the pandemic, and they're certainly not doing better on account of the pandemic. And so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, they're having to take loans from the government, adding to their debt load that was already pretty substantial to begin with. So those hospitals that are on the municipality's balance sheets are going to pull those municipalities down and and probably create some filings as well. And finally, the revenue side for these municipalities is going to be hit with the tax base. A lot of companies uh, are not going to be able to pay their taxes. A lot of people will be looking for tax breaks. And to the extent that their taxes that are based on sales, a lot of sales have fallen off pretty substantially. So you can already see a perfect storm of increased expenses and uh, lowered revenues on an already stressed economy for a lot of these municipalities. And so I would, I, I believe there will be several chapter nines in the next 12 to 18 months. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, 
I've, I've read in some of the industry publications some questions about whether or not companies can file for bankruptcy while simultaneously collecting federal stimulus funds. Do you all have any input or information on that? Morgan, that's a great question, especially for us bankruptcy geeks, because it's a um, it's kind of a hot topic right now. There have been some contrary rulings uh, or conflicting rulings. So Judge uh, David Jones, who's a bankruptcy judge in the Southern District in Houston, has recently entered an injunction prohibiting the SBA from denying a loan to a Chapter 11 debtor. Um, there are at least two other decisions, one of which came out, I think, morning in the Corsi bankruptcy case that are exactly the opposite. So this is definitely, in, again, from the geeky bankruptcy litigator's standpoint, it's going to be a, a very interesting topic that's going to have to get played out probably in the Court of Appeals. But you're going to get some conflicting rulings depending upon your bankruptcy judge in the near term that will at least establish that in, uh, in each case for a period of time. Yeah, I mean, it seems like in so many facets of what's going on right now, everyone's sort of learning as they go and they're gonna there's just gonna be a variety of different decisions made out there depending on interpretation. And so I think this will continue to evolve over the coming months, um, for sure. And you know, it, it seems like not long ago we were facing another economic downturn, but it was very different in a lot of ways back in, you know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine timeframe. Um, what learning lessons could we take from that situation or other um, economic downturns? And what are kind of the similarities and, and differences? Um, Jesse, maybe you can can kick us off on that one. Yeah, the, the 2007, 8, 9 Great Recession was caused by a real estate bubble that left investors all over the world with housing collateral that was effectively worthless. Uh, it's called a subprime market. All lending stopped and the bank spent the next five years liquidating houses at huge losses. Uh, the banks were having to reserve monies against these bad loans, and it basically just stopped the banks dead in their tracks. And there was there was no no real estate lending going on at all. Today, uh, the economy is uh, I'll say pre COVID. Uh, we don't have that. The economy uh, was pretty robust, except for some isolated industries. Oil and gas has been talked about. Interest rates today are at an all-time low. Uh, people were doing deals pre-COVID, and the banks had all the money in the world to fund the deals. Everybody was excited about you know the next couple of years. And today, the banks still want to fund the transactions. Uh, the banks have plenty of money. Problem is, no one is able to do anything because of the uh, stay-at-home orders. Uh, the fundamentals of the economy still exist. The real question is whether folks jump back in or cautiously remain on the side lines before making further investments. The longer folks wait, uh, the worse the economy will get, resulting in more bankruptcies. That's that's the great uncertainty. How long is this going to go on? Right. Yeah. And if there's a, you know, we all go back to work and go back to our lives as normal, and then there's another wave of this, who's to, who's to say? So none of us have the, the crystal ball, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I hope that in some ways the past can help us to predict what's to come. Um, John or Eric, anything to, to add to that and sort of what we can learn from the past? And Yeah, you know, I, I think there is a silver lining when you compare this to uh, 2008. 2008 was, as Jesse said, it was kind of a buildup. It had to flush through the system. It was a true economic recalibration. I don't think that's what this is. Now, it could end up there, as Jesse said, if people stay on the sideline too long. But just as easily, there could be, once there's a vaccine and people feel like that they can get back out there, you know, the entrepreneurs will look at this and they'll see deals. And the deals will drive uh, a lot of economic activity. The, the strong will get in there and buy. 
it'll be a buyer's market. And I can see a situation, maybe it's not a V, but it, it may be a U. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but it's not It's not going to go on for five years as we try to muddle through. My prediction would be the, the fundamentals were pretty strong pre-pandemic. And I think that once things sort themselves out from that, and it may have to wait on a vaccine, uh, I think you'll see an, uh, an up, uptick and I think the recovery will be pretty strong. John, don't you think that we've seen a kind of a quantum change in, in you know, there, there are historical events that change the course of how we live and what we do. The 9-11 was one of them. You know, I'm sure the folks that were after World War II, that was another. I'm not sure that we haven't seen that. I think the biggest issue for us is going to be figuring out what that change is. And as you say, the money's there, the entrepreneurs are there. How do they react to it? What do they do? And I think that's going to be the biggest issue is trying to figure out how you adapt to the new world order based upon things that we were never concerned about. And even if there's a vaccine, I'm not sure, for example, that people are going to go back to the grocery store the way they were or go back to big retail, big box retailers. Maybe um, I'm just worried about like football stadiums. You know, do you go back to your football game or things like that? I think we're going to have to be adaptive. And I think the economy as entrepreneurs will be adapted. You're right. Uh, you and Jess, you're both right. There's money there. There were good fundamentals, and that is a difference. There are companies, there are healthcare companies that will have are sitting on a lot of cash, a lot of dry powder, and there are going to be huge opportunities for them to increase market share on the other side of this, or to Eric's earlier point, invest in those new technologies and industries that are going to come out of this on the other side where it's going to be important for them to be in there. I think the bankruptcy process is uniquely situated. Uh, for a lot of those sales to take place. Uh, and that's what's, you know, if, if there is yet another silver lining to this, to the savvy and sophisticated business buyer, they understand that bankruptcy is not bad. Bankruptcy is a method and a means to an end and a means to getting assets in a way that you can't get it in almost any other way. And so I think there will be bankruptcies. There will be bankruptcies where people are closing up, but there will also be bankruptcies that are used to facilitate transformations into what the, the next wave of entrepreneurial direction is taking us. Absolutely. I mean, I think of our our own firm, right? And there's just so many businesses that have been able to adapt in a matter of days into this kind of new working arrangement. And so it'll definitely have an impact. But what that looks like um, is to be seen. You know, I think there have been some some negative aspects of the conversation. It can definitely be Debbie Downer to talk about the B word bankruptcy or anything that comes along with that. But you know, I, I think if if organizations are listening to this today, are there things that they can be doing now to prepare themselves that they're being smart about how they're evaluating their business and they are not at a point right now where they're filing like some of the clients that we um, are working with? Any tips for leaders of these organizations or boards that are tasked with setting the strategic direction of the company? Facetiously, obviously, Morgan, my initial response was start praying. You know, maybe it's, it's not bad an idea as, as you think. You know, I remember when I was a young lawyer, my dad, who was a practicing lawyer, used to tell me that, you know, rich or poor, it's good to have cash. I do think that one of the lessons that we can learn is to have dry powder. So to the extent that these opportunities are going to present themselves in the future, and they will, to the extent that you are in an adaptive situation and have to react to the new reality, having some dry powder and cash where you can uh, be adaptive 
and be aggressive because of that, I think is definitely a lesson that um, we should all be thinking about going forward. You know, to, to, to build on that point that Eric makes, some of the silver linings from my perspective involve being forced into the 21st century with the rest of the youngsters and having to learn how to work computers and printers and scanners. Zoom, the call we're doing today, I didn't know this technology existed until uh, until we started into this. I think folks are going to use their, their home offices more and more. I think that you're going to see the commercial real estate market change in very, very uh, dynamic ways. I think you're going to see more conference room space being invested into with uh, less uh, individual offices. You'll probably see a lot of office sharing as opposed to having every single lawyer with a dedicated office. I think you'll see that in the accounting firms and other tenants. It, it, it's not that that disappearance is going to have an economic downfall for anyone, but what's just going to make the, uh, the landlords and the developers uh, repurpose uh, the way they do business. Great. Well, any closing thoughts today? I think I, my parting thought would be for boards of directors to become a little bit more active here. There's going to be a tendency, there always is, to defer completely to the managers of the business and Nobody has ever seen anything like this. So the more good thinking that can be brought to the management and to the operation of a, of a business, the better that business is going to be off. So if there's ever been a time for managers and board members to work collaboratively and together, this is it because there's going to be strategy, there's going to be emergencies, there are going to be things that people have never seen before. And the more good thinking that can be brought for a company's purposes, the better. And Morgan, from, from my perspective, I, I think in following on with what John said, we're in a situation where uh, we're in uncharted waters, we've had a world event that changed things, being adaptive, and as Jesse said, having open discussion with people that you are partners with in your business is, is definitely the way to go. And as John has suggested, you know, bankruptcies are an effective tool in certain circumstances as a means to an end, and it, it has the opportunity to provide a, a result that can be successful. Successful and it's, it's probably something that needs to be thought about and utilized in the appropriate time, um, particularly if you need cooperation that you're not getting otherwise. If I have one, and I'm speaking to borrowers that owe money to lenders right now, I think another takeaway from this broadcast is um, communication. I know that banks are in a mindset right now where they want to help. I mentioned the word partner. I did not say that lightly. I mean, really, banks and borrowers are in this together, and uh, they want to come out of it together. And I think that if, if, if borrowers will take an opportunity to speak with their bankers and just let them know where they are, I think that in most circumstances, the banks will try to find a solution. Thank you all for joining me today. I really enjoyed the conversation and look forward to talking again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Point by Point, brought to you by Waller. Visit the news and insights section of our website to listen to more episodes, subscribe to the podcast, find show notes and more.